Have you ever wondered what hypnosis might be and what it can do for you? You've come to the right place. Welcome to Hypnosis Everywhere with your host, Inez Simpson. This is the show that talks to everyone, from the experienced practitioner to the cautiously curious, and yes, even the skeptics. Now, here's Inez Simpson. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Hypnosis Everywhere with my sidekick, Martin Gover, who's off screen. And anyway, on Voice America, you can only hear him, so that's just fine. And <laughs> I'm having a great guest on today. My gra- She's been on before. She's one of my favorites. Uh, we meet, you know, at different conventions and stuff, and I've known her for quite a while. And so I'm just going to say this is Melissa Tears, not Melissa Pierce, by the way, for anybody who's got that wrong, it's with a T. Um, so Melissa Tears and I have been sort of friends for at least a decade. So mm-hmm. uh, I know her and I feel very comfortable that she can carry a show or 10 shows maybe. <laughs> so, uh, so here's Melissa and I just get her to give you a slight little, uh, just a short bio and just in case someone doesn't know who you are because we have regular population maybe only 10 50 percent are hypnotists ah 10 50 percent are hypnotists 10 to that's 15 i don't think 50 oh 10 to 15 know. okay yes. well that's interesting so um i'm here in new york city i'm a founder of the center for integrative hypnosis I teach courses in, you know, integrative hypnosis and neurolinguistic psychology and practical neuroscience. Um, as Ines says, you know, we've known each other actually for, for longer than a decade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to say 15, 16 years. Well, maybe it is that I long. I think yeah. so. I was um, just making you sure. Know, I've, it- been, I've been in this mind field for over 20 at this point, and I'm always learning, always expanding. To me, um, that's the fantastic thing about this field we're in is that there's no cap on it. You know, Ines, mm-hmm. we're never going to sit down and have nope. a conversation where we say, and we know all there is to know about <laughs> hypnosis or yeah. all there is to know about the mind or all there is to know about consciousness. That's what's so exciting about this. Yeah. You never get bored ever. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, my daughter was, um, was stressing out as she picks her college courses today uh, because so many of them were, um, were taken. And what they do now is they go and rate the teacher. So before she commits to any class, she goes to this website and hears all the feedback of the teachers. And one of the worst things you can hear is that they drone on and they're boring. And I always say that that's, that's one of the unfortunate things when people get to a point where they're bored with their own, you know, their own material, yeah. their own subject. And in this field, because it's just an ever expanding one. And, you know, with each um, study that comes out of not just neuroscience, but embodied cognition and priming and unconscious biases and heuristics. And there's this whole slew of research coming out on the adaptive unconscious and just how much of our processing is outside of conscious awareness. And the more popular that becomes, the more people realize just how unconsciously driven every single, you know, thing that they do is, um, the more they start to uh, seek out that type of um you know, modalities and information that can tell them more, that can teach them more. So I think it's it's only getting even more exciting, you know? 
I know it is for me. I I don't know how anyone can be in this field and think of it as a job or think of it no. as a way to make money. I mean, I know that's our, how we make our living, but if right. that's what you're thinking about, it seems crazy. I wouldn't. Well, you know, and I think it's 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 evident um, in 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 the subset of this field that is in it for you know they kind of found their thing it's the only thing they're interested in they kind of stopped learning and those are the people that you know um they don't last long in this field i i believe you know um, because they're catering to a very um set uh set mindset yeah. So anyways, so I, I think it's exciting. You and I are always having a conversation and every time we touch base, you know, it's, it's, it's intriguing, you know, because we're traveling and learning more and incorporating other um, modalities into our skill set. And, and as I said, for me, you know, I'm, I'm pretty um, brain centric. Yes. And, and have been for many years, but the yes. beautiful thing is now I'm starting to, you know, expand that as well to, to the entire nervous system and, you know, the, um, all of the things that expand beyond that. I was just teaching a course on embodied cognition and just how embodied our thought processing is. We think it's all in the brain, but really there's enough receptors that go from the body to the brain, uh, to, to kind of balance that out. I kind of love it because the supposedly science is sort of catching up with what we already had we, stuff we were doing and now it has mm-hmm. a name it's scientifically. And I think that's great. I'm not knocking yeah. it, but it's something it's easy that we are actually starting to come around to a place where they're starting to meet a little bit more than they used to. Oh yeah. Well, to me, uh, well, in my world and in my work, they've always met. Yeah. You know, one informs the other. Yeah. Um, and so it's what keeps me expanding. You it's know, fine I'll read for a study us, and then but I'll I meant- say, how can I make it applicable? How yeah. can I take this and make it practical? Yeah. What does this mean for my work? What does this yeah. mean for my clients? How can we change faster and more easily and more um, fluidly? <laughs> See, I think there's people like us for sure that we do that. And then there's all the people sitting that only know so much and they haven't broadened their mind yet to that. And I think that's what's happening. Maybe that maybe I was, you know, stating it wrong. I think there's more and more people willing to listen and see where everything goes now. Sure. Sure. Well, to me, it's, it's all about, um, you know, there's something I harp on in my trainings a lot, which is getting conscious buy-in and too often, uh, practitioners in this field, they, they kind of denigrate or um, diminish uh, the conscious mind as if we just need to push it aside and then, you know, we can speak. And, and that's, you know, that to me is, is um, gets us nowhere fast in that we have a conscious mind for a reason. We have <laughs> an inner narrative. We yes. have stories that we tell ourselves and others. And if you're not speaking to that part as well, then you're missing the driver, you know, on many levels. Yes. And so for me, conscious buy-in is being able to tell the New Yorkers that I work with why that hadn't been working and why this will, why they want to do these techniques and explain to them that this habituated pattern in their brain 
is easily changeable if they know how to do it. And here's how to do it. And so, you know, because I'm always informing them about neuroplasticity and the ways in which their behavior, their thought processing, their, their, uh, repetitive emotional states have built these kind of neuro associations and then how to strategically dismantle that. And so when you give someone that information, they become more um, empowered and it becomes a cooperative approach. And that is a big part of what I do, you know, and I think without the conscious buy-in, and this is where science you need the informs. conscious buy-in yeah, always. Always. So always. this is where science informs. Because um, yeah. people are used to believing certain things, right? Mm-hmm. And in our culture, one of the easiest ways to change someone's belief system is with so they did this research study. <laughs> or, you know, this is what they're finding. And so all of a sudden we're used to changing what we do based on, you know, the the current understanding of it. And so I I find that it really helps my clients to not only, you know, take some of the mystery away from why that, you know, they hadn't been able to um, change, Mm -hmm. but also a roadmap as to how the brain changes and how they can do it themselves. Well, talking about that, I thought maybe I'd steer you into something I'm kind of interested in now. And mm-hmm. I'd like to talk a little bit about um, your hypno-psychedelics. Uh, <laughs> hypno-psychedelics. So, it sounds good. Um, I want to hear about it. Well, you know, as, as you know, we were just talking about I'm always expanding, right? And for me, you know, I think the last time you and I had this co- uh, conversation – we were talking about um, self-directed neuroplasticity, and it's a big part of what I do. There's this other layer um, where I get really strategic, really almost myopic when it comes to how to do kind of synaptic manipulation uh, utilizing hypnosis. And it's really about getting more and more specific in order to encourage the brain to generalize the change. And so it's, it's, it's a bit of a deductive um, processing form. The other side of that, you know, and, and the reason I do that is because typically people come in with these big issues, these big problems, whether it's anxiety or, you know, these, these huge, what, what we would call nominalizations, you know, which are things that used to be processes and have been frozen or stuck it used to be a verb and now it's a noun and these are the things you know that people come in with and the best way to to change that that we have found is to go for specific instances light up the relevant neural network introduce change and do it again and do it again and do it again until the brain goes generative there's and that's pretty much um the rule in, in how I work. The exception to that rule is what I call higher order change. And this is what happens when people have that epiphany, that aha moment, that transcendent uh, perceptual shift. And all of the new current um, enthusiasm 
for the psychedelic uh, states and all of the new research coming out on the use of psychedelics for anxiety, for addictions, for hospice care, for end of life. I mean, NYU is doing studies. Almost every big um, established institution is now dabbling once again in this area for, for damn good reason. You know, when you shake up the habituated neural firing that we as, as humans with, you know, <laughs> with repetitive thoughts and behaviors tend to, tend to get stuck in these ruts. And what the psychedelic research is telling us is that if you go into these extraordinary perceptual positions, then you can get a higher order of change that is, you know, that doesn't, it doesn't fall under the rule of Hebbian law, which is neurons that fire together, wire together, and then you would need repetition. This defies repetition. It just, you can, it can happen in one shot. And whether it's the mystical experience people have, whether it's, you know, that transcendent someone who has a heart attack and in that moment changes their entire life, these are moments where we step up. We have a quantum leap in consciousness. And so for me, um, I always, you know, in all of these interviews that I often do over the years, because, you know, I'm lucky in that people, um, people enjoy my work, right? So they buy my books and they come to my classes. And so I'm, I'm often asked the origin story. I think you might have asked me a couple of times as well, you know, what got you into this? And I always yeah. say the main driver for me is curiosity. You know, that is what got me into this field. That is what keeps me in this field. That is what keeps me excited and learning. But the other aspect of my origin story is a magic mushroom trip I had when I was 19 in Central Park. <laughs> And I think without that, I certainly wouldn't be sitting here talking to you because it was a moment where all I can say is my perception shifted so absolutely drastically that the malleability of mind became really crystal clear to me. Not only that, right, the, I, I understood something. There was a flash. There was a moment. I understood something really important about, you know, reality. And in that moment, I felt like I knew, I knew something. And of course, then it was gone. And I spent, you know, the next 30 years trying to get it back with every other kind of drug you could possibly. You know, I've imagine. heard that story so many times for many people. <laughs> well, because it's true, right? All of yep. a sudden, what you thought was stuck reality your own perceptual reality tunnel can be so shaken up and drastically transformed. So for me, that got me fascinated with altered states of consciousness. That got me fascinated with learning how to trigger these states without the drugs. Because I figure if my brain can do that, that means that there must be a receptor on those cells that that, con that that drug latches onto, which means we must make it. Mm, and indeed sure. we do. So now my work is all about how do we inspire that? How do we use hypnosis to kind of stimulate these deeper 
states of consciousness, these deeper changes. And so I taught a class um, at Hypnosance Live uh, last year on hypnopsychedelics and um, combining. Oh, you probably work. didn't have enough room in the in the place. Oh my god! Yeah, it was it was it was a standing room only. People were sitting all over the floors. It was it was fascinating. In that we were just playing. I was like, here's what we're gonna do. I started to bring in certain types of breath work, and and kind of combining that with um, different states of hypnosis, going deep in and then extraordinarily out, <laughs> and having a lot of fun. But really, it's about looking for that higher order change. Yeah, I don't know. It kind of cracks me up because you and I, we don't talk very often, and and we, when we do, it's just like we never we've or been friends forever and which is true and the whole thing about it is that we end up going in similar places i haven't seen and talked to you in about two years and we're in this always thinking in the same lines in just different way totally different yeah. way right and it's so interesting it been two years didn't i just think you? i haven't met you at a convention by luck lately anyway. really interesting no it hasn't huh. So we've got one minute till break. So if you want to have a last thought here or whatever, well, but we, I mean, as far as, you know, that topic, the, the hypno psychedelics goes, it's, it's really about expansion. It's about yeah. how do we use our tool set to, yes. to, to create these kind of magical moments mm -hmm. of change because the conscious buy-in comes into play here as well. Sure does. You know, when you dose somebody with this type of magical transformative experience using hypnosis, then you've also, you've opened the door to the possibility that change can be easier than they thought. You know, yeah. that's that, that my the thing big they've line. been talking about for 30 years in therapy, all of a sudden can shift on a dime, you know? Yeah. So that's, you know, that that's an exciting uh, idea. So that's what I do too. I, I'll just say, you know, if you want to come and work with me or whatever, all I need you to be is open to possibility. Yeah. And open to what you're going to feel, sense or know, or, you know, anything. Sure. And, um, you know, Terrence McKenna and all those types were very into all this. And I know just like you, that we can just get it with hypnosis. So on that topic i think that's really great well guess what i don't know if our minutes last longer but we have some more time <laughs> like <laughs> a half a minute or something <laughs> but it's true though isn't it i mean there's so much i have one of my students that does that kind of work pardon okay so okay thanks so we're gonna go on break and i'll see you on the other side thanks all right how come that? Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. We know lasers are in use in almost every aspect of the medical profession these days. Now there's a powerful, unique, and safe laser you can use at home. Quantum Scalar Wave Lasers using Tesla technology allow the body to do what it does best, heal itself. Scalar Wave Lasers work down to the cellular level and can even reset cellular memory for outstanding outcomes. 
The quantum lasers use three different wavelengths in one laser for optimum results. It's government approved and safe for home use. For more information, visit Simpson Protocol slash lasers or click the banner on this show's webpage. Hi, this is Inez Simpson. Thanks for listening to the show Hypnosis Everywhere. If this is the first time listening, well, we have a whole treasure trove of shows archived here and on Voice America page and in Hypnosis Everywhere website, all free for you to listen to anytime. The first year's broadcast showed the amazing diversity of the talent and the skills of those people who make up our fascinating hypnosis community. This season, Hypnosis Everywhere, the next level, will delve deep into where modern hypnosis is now taking us, the new discoveries and adventures as we explore this infinite mind of ours. And we explore Simpson Protocol hypnosis that is taking us higher and deeper than ever before. We'll talk about astounding insights that show us how our mind can shape and change our lives for the better. So come join us on Hypnosis Everywhere, amazing people who are on amazing adventures in this world of hypnosis. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Hypnosis Everywhere, The Simpson Protocol. To reach the show today, send an email to Inez, that's I-N-E-S, at InezSimpson.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Hypnosis Everywhere with Melissa Tears, and we're going to keep talking a little bit about transformation and how the conscious mind is needed just as well as the subconscious mind. Many hypnotists tend to dwell on the subconscious mind, but I keep telling clients, you know, this is your whole mind is all one, and, you know, you just have to have, that's why I spend so much time, and I think you do, on on teaching your clients and giving them enough education to do that. Well, also, you know, this idea of the separate, as you, as you said, it's all one. You know, it's a continuum consciousness. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, this very small bit that we call the conscious mind. It's simply the part that is aware of as we're talking. It is that part that kind of can, you know, worry about the future and ruminate about the past because time exists for the conscious mind, not so all the unconscious processing. And so that is the timeless part, but it is also in my world, you know, it's not a thing, the unconscious mind as if it's some thing, it is simply all that you are not currently conscious of. It is the deeper unconscious processing that goes on, you know, below the hood, below the surface. (laughs) And sometimes we have access to some aspects of it. Sometimes our job is to drag from the unconscious to the conscious people's processing. When I point out kind of the images there, you know, when I point out their unconscious strategies for how they're doing this problem, how they keep it uh, going, Mm -hmm. and then how can we manipulate even the, you know, the, the features of mind in order to change how they feel. So I think it's it's more about um, giving people a narrative they can understand. You know, these days, um, I kind of look at my work as as embodying three different levels, right? So when I, when I work with people, I've got the self-directed 
neuroplasticity. And for those of you that don't know what that means, because I realize not everyone's a hypnotist on the show um, or listening to this show, self-directed neuroplasticity in my world is a, is a protocol. It's a set of different techniques designed to change the brain. Neuroplasticity is the brain's ability um, to change. It is always changing with every new learning, with every new thing that you're doing. And, and your brain tends to take the shape of what it is you do consciously and unconsciously, right? What it is you do repetitively. So the first level is I give people different ways of stopping it. You know, whatever it is, whether it is a craving, it is anxiety, it is the habituated loop they're going through with this idea that each time they interrupt it, they can kind of... Um, segue out of the habituated groove and create new neural connections. So that's yeah. the first level. It's how do I arm my clients to change their own brain based on the current research on neuroplasticity, the work of Jeffrey Schwartz and Joseph Ledoux and a bunch of other uh, pioneers that have access to fMRI machines, which I don't. Um, the second layer is how can I be very strategic in guiding them to neutralize all of the triggers, right? The external triggers that tend to trigger their unwanted behavior or emotional states or patterns, right? So that's about using another form of neuroplasticity, typically therapeutic memory reconsolidation, which is simply being able to access the neural network involved in the problem and change the emotional track of it. That's yeah. kind of what's really exciting these days. Only in the last five to 10 years are we aware of therapeutic memory reconsolidation. We can talk more about that in a moment. The third layer of it is the meaning making, right? How do we help our clients into clarity and understanding, right? When I first started, um, I remember in, in NLP class, they were like, stay away from why. Don't ask why. Why could take you 20 years of psychotherapy? You want when and how and what, you know? I remember. But no why. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, I really did. I stayed away from the why. Why is this happening, right? Because that's not as useful as how is this happening so that we can change it. Yeah. Where is this happening? When does this happen? But one of the things over the years, you, you work with people long enough, and as I said, it's 20 years in, you start to realize that why is vital. That's what makes us human. That's what separates us from every other uh, animal, or well, that we know of, is that we need a why, an understanding, a narrative. And so the deeper states of trance give us that clarity. Right, so it's the third level of my work that 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 is vital there, and that's where the uh, hypnopsychedelics come in. It's not just for fun. It's not just to you know to play with your you know. It's not a party drug. It's really how do we access these states for higher order change and understanding and and clarity, you know. And so I think that um, with all of these levels, getting conscious buy-in is vital, and that. It helps people to understand what we're doing. Now, most of my, you know, private clients come by way of psychiatrists at this point. And so I need to, you know, be able to satisfy not just the client's conscious buy-in, but the psychiatrists. They need to have some understanding, some shared language of what we're doing, right? 
Mm-hmm. We need to take hypnosis out of the, you know, the dark <laughs> ages um, and, and into the light. And, and it is about understanding what is going on when we do what we do. You know, and you had said something earlier that, <clears throat> and there's a great, uh, a great quote, which is the scientists climbed the mountain and they found the mystics waiting there for them. In that science is catching up with a lot of the things that we have been doing forever. Um, Even even in the, you know, the old shamanic cultures and, you know, the Egyptian sleep temples, they were all using trance to make transformation happen. And so so for me, conscious buy-in goes way beyond just talking about neuroplasticity and how they can change their brain into um, more specific, look at how you keep this anxiety structure going. Mm -hmm. Look at you're making an image, you're then talking to yourself, you're then feeling it, then you make a higher order metacognition about it. And with all these three pieces, watch what happens when we manipulate each one. And so people have many different ways to change, you know? It's true. And, you know, this is very funny because most people think of me as a little woo-woo. And you yeah, are you and you are. <laughs> and I mean, most people <laughs> think of you as very way. scientific. And yet we're always on the same page. Yeah. Well, you know, I guess the first time I saw you teach, I don't even I think it was about 16. I think it was your first workshop you gave at an NGH. OK. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I remember. Yep. And I had been a bit getting a little burnt out with some of the, with some of the classes I was going to. And somebody asked you a question, Ines, and you turned around and you said, hmm, I don't know. Like, you actually said, I don't know, but it's a really good question. And right away, I was like, that is the most refreshing thing I've heard today. Because of course, how could she know? It was some, it was a question like, you know, that we couldn't possibly know. But your quick, readily, I don't know, but it's a great question, endeared you to me immediately. (laughs) Because it shows something. It shows a willingness to learn. Because if you know everything, you're not open to learning. No. You know? Um, I love that. I love the quote that uh, conviction is what you get when you stop thinking. You know? And so... So yes, you, we 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 are on seemingly different path. two ends of of a continuum. Yeah. With me looking for the hard evidence and the research, and you know, like excited about each new research study that comes out, and you over here kind of playing in these you know semi woo woo states. But I I do think that where we meet is is the important part. Mm-hmm. which is the willingness to learn, the willingness to be wrong. Yeah. The openness to discover something else. And, you know, and being able to say, I don't fucking know. Shit. <laughs> I wasn't going to curse. That's all right. It's radio, right? You're New York. You're New York. What am I going to say? <laughs> so, yeah. So, so to me, um, I, I think once we acknowledge all of these uh, different aspects of mind that, that come into play when we make changes, that, you know, there is no unconscious mind that is a separate entity from the conscious mind. It is a continuum. 
and one informs the other constantly. It is a two-way street, you know? So yeah. for me, it's, it's about uh, really playing into that yep. so that change is easier. It's very important to remember that conscious mind. Yeah, well, that's, 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 I that's, think so that's, in, in hypnosis and you're right. Some people just don't, um, they want to, I do, I say it's bypass of the, you know, the conscious mind, but it, you still need to have the conscious mind know what's happening. The conscious mind yeah. is the most important part. It's walking around here talking. I mean, their whole mind's there to walking around, but that's the only awareness of what's happening around them is consciously. Sure. So it's drawn from the unconscious and given to them, then that changes that awareness too. Well, also, if you don't, then you're not really teaching people no. anything that they can then utilize on their own. Yeah. And you, you know, and I are both about that. We want our clients to be able to do self-work. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's really the most important part. If we give them the gift to work with themselves, they're, they can choose to use it or not, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but we, we give it to all our clients. Yeah, sure. Sure. So, um, you know, I had mentioned a couple of things. Um, mm -hmm. One was uh, memory reconsolidation, and I think this is something that I harp on quite a lot simply because it is just not common knowledge how memory works. And if it was, then we would have to readjust many things in our society you know, but let's just <laughs> seriously, let's give a, a very quick in a nutshell. First memory reconsolidation, as it's been known for quite a while, which is every single time you remember something, you change it. This yes. is the fact. That you only fact. ever have access to the last version of that memory. So memory reconsolidation is when you remember something, you kind of lift it out of the neural regions where it's stored and it becomes malleable. And then it gets laid back down and that's called reconsolidation. So it gets laid back down with your current awareness of now, with the stories that you've heard about that event, with what people think about that event, with TV shows that might've been going on about that event. And it all gets reconsolidated in, but we would swear that it's our memory. And every time something happens in, in, in popular culture that shines a light on it, we ask the wrong questions, right? Like whether it's Hillary Clinton, you know, or the Brian Williams, where, you know, it's like he says something and people are like, that's not true. You, that's a lie. Instead of, you know, I always get excited like, oh, finally, now we're going to have a conversation about memory reconsolidation because... Why would Brian Williams risk his entire career? He's a newscaster here, yeah. an anchor guy, quite popular for all these years. His entire career is like decades long. And he remembered being in a helicopter being shot at or something, but really he was in the, the other helicopter that didn't get shot at. But in that moment, his mind reconsolidated those. But instead, we as a culture, we don't ask about memory. We don't, we don't look a little deeper into it. They don't get any experts on to say, no, he's not lying. It's confabulation, but that's his brain doing it. Instead, we just demand a public apology and then shame him. You know, it's, it's ridiculous. And it happens quite often um, because every time it's like a Word document. 
You open up the Word document, you fix one typo. When you save it, you only ever save the latest version. That's your memory. And so a memory researcher once said, the best way to preserve any memory is to never recall it. <laughs> so that's I that's was going to say, but that's unlikely. Right. But it's, it's memory reconsolidation yes. as it happens naturally, which is mm -hmm. a very subtle, incremental process. What happens in our office, Ines, is therapeutic memory reconsolidation. And that means in a very strategic, therapeutic way, we do something that causes, uh, it's a built-in evolutionary process that has been vital for our survival, this process of memory reconsolidation as a massive update, right? And it is when we've needed to quickly change that our brain does this specific thing. So let me just go into that a little bit so that people can understand how it's possible. Two minutes? Mm -hmm. Or are you just saying peace? Oh, peace in two minutes. Right. So, <laughs> so basically, when we remember something, we work with our clients, we access the neural network. Once it becomes malleable, if we introduce something called a prediction error, a mismatch, then in that moment, our brain you know, goes through this kind of synaptic unlocking that allows us to change the emotional track of any memory. Now this, if you think of it during cavewoman's times, right? So being able to, I always tell this one story, you know, think of going to the berry patch if you're a cavewoman, it's because you always know that's where you get the best berries. That's where your memory tells you, you always get sweet there. And if you go there and instead you find a herd of saber-toothed tigers has decided to call it home, in that <laughs> moment, your brain, for survival purposes, causes a massive update to change that memory immediately so you never forget it. So it, it is no longer the place I remember to go get berries. It is the place I remember to avoid. Okay. So it's been happening this whole time. So... <laughs> On that note, we'll go to yes. break and we'll be back <laughs> You're so on the funny. other side. <laughs> Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Hi, this is Inez Simpson. Thanks for listening to the show Hypnosis Everywhere. If this is the first time listening, well, we have a whole treasure trove of shows archived here and on Voice America page and on Hypnosis Everywhere website, all free for you to listen to anytime. The first year's broadcast showed the amazing diversity of the talent and the skills of those people who make up our fascinating hypnosis community. This season, Hypnosis Everywhere, the next level, will delve deep into where modern hypnosis is now taking us, the new discoveries and adventures as we explore this infinite mind of ours. And we explore Simpson Protocol Hypnosis that is taking us higher and deeper than ever before. We'll talk about the astounding insights that show us how our mind can shape and change our lives for the better. So come join us on Hypnosis Everywhere, amazing people who are on amazing adventures in this world of hypnosis. We know lasers are in use in almost every aspect of the medical profession these days. Now there's a powerful, unique, and safe laser you can use at home. 
Quantum scalar wave lasers using Tesla technology allow the body to do what it does best, heal itself. Scalar wave lasers work down to the cellular level and can even reset cellular memory for outstanding outcomes. The quantum lasers use three different wavelengths in one laser for optimum results. It's government approved and safe for home use. For more information, visit Simpson Protocol slash lasers or click the banner on this show's webpage. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Hypnosis Everywhere, The Simpson Protocol. To reach the show today, send an email to Inez, that's I-N-E-S, at InezSimpson.com. Now, back to this week's program. Well, welcome back to Hypnosis Everywhere, my great guest, Melissa Tears. And Melissa, you did, I, what is happening for you now, and, and what is that thing you were talking about, about body cognition? What is it, emotion? Uh, well, embodied cognition is 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 a fascinating uh, topic. I think it should fascinate everybody with a mind and a body. Um, the way that I teach it in my classes is is uh, specific to priming and understanding how words matter, how words are embodied, how our body contributes to our thinking more than we ever imagine. You know, we think that the mind is primary. And yet what we are starting to find out is that we are equally as influenced by our bodies. So some of the, the, the ones that people really like um, are these snippets, right? So I always say that because everything starts, everything starts from a foundation of early sensory experience from, we are, from before we're born, right? But certainly as newborns, we make uh, assessments about the world, right? So we know that when we're born, warm, warmth, and being held and cuddled and nursed and fed, warm is good. Cold is not, right? Being left alone, maybe not having our diaper changed. So we make these, these, these assessments. Warm is good. Cold is not. What that then does, it becomes the foundation for all of our other experiences. And so we have these neural networks that branch out from that early sensory experience into even now the metaphors we think with, the metaphors we embody. So that if, you, if people who are listening to this are holding a warm cup of coffee or tea, then they will rate me as being a warmer individual because we, we um, expand out from that early sensory experience into other regions of the brain. So words cross regions. So you can say things like, I'm starting to warm up to this idea, or you're so warm hearted, or what a cold bitch, or don't give me the cold shoulder. You're leaving me out in the cold here. Yeah. You know, all of these things that are so deeply embedded in our language and our body and our experience, right? So it's obvious when we talk about, you know, hot and cold. But then there's other things that you want to be aware of if you're you know, a hypnotist or a change worker. If someone is sitting on a 
softer chair, then they're more likely to change their mind. Or if you want someone to sign your petition, you're better off putting it on a very heavy clipboard because it lends weight to the issue when we feel the weight. So there's all these different studies that are kind of fascinating as it relates to this, this idea. Embodied cognition means that thoughts are embodied and are informed by the body. You know, if you uh, wash your hands then you are less likely to do a charitable uh, action. You washed your hands of it. Yes, interesting. It's fascinating. If you are up in front of a judge for sentencing, you better hope that you are not getting him or her when they are hungry. It's the worst time to be sentenced is before lunch. They have found that, I think it's some like 70% harsher sentencing when people are hungry. Wow, that's a big, big percentage. Yeah, it's like a big, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure of the exact amount, but it's big, it's huge. So all of this stuff comes into play and we're always being influenced by the unconscious uh, mind and primed outside of our awareness. The color in, in, on the walls, you know, will prime you. There's a book called Drunk Tank Pink. And the title comes from a study they did where they found that if they paint, if they put violent drunks into a cell with pink walls, it acts like a tranquilizer. And so now most uh, hospitals will have, you know, most prisons will have like one room at least that's pink. So we're being influenced like this all the time. It's outside of our conscious awareness. Right. And that's just the external We're we're influenced by the internal all the time. Our neuro associations our our histories, the smells in a room. They they now have done enough research where they know that they got to pipe in one smell in a woman's department at, you know, Saks Fifth Avenue and a very different scent in the men's department that will get them to pull out their credit cards. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Neuromarketing is a thing. So be I, know, I believe it. Oh, yeah. We're being that. manipulated on every level. It's, yes. it's how do we use this for good? So embodied cognition is is understanding uh, the role of the body. You know, when I'm working with people and they tell me about their problem and they're hunched over, the first thing I do once I access the neural network of that is to get them to sit up to change their posture so that we have better odds of finding a a better emotional state. State-dependent learning is a feature of the brain that says like-minded states will attract each other. When you're in a certain biochemical emotional state, it's yeah. really hard to access something else. And one of the fastest ways to shift that is to move the body, right? We know that there's research where, you know, um, if people put a pencil in between their teeth, so they're in a smile, that within a minute or two, their biochemistry will change to reflect a more a positive emotional state. And if they hold it in their lips, so they're frowning, the opposite is true. This is how interrelated that mind-body system is. And that's why Botox can be so detrimental for people. Because if you can't move the muscles in your face, then it's hard really to access certain emotional states that go along with that. You know, if you smile in less than a minute, you're going to start to feel better 
because you're going to fool your brain and it just works in a loop. You know, it's very funny. You know, we have, I had said earlier, right, that although I'm brain centric, I've now started to include a lot more of the body in my work and the vagus nerve, especially, and how the evolution of our nervous system comes into play in every single interaction we have, right? That there's certain things that our nervous system, there's a question our nervous system is asking of the environment countless times a minute. Our nervous system is asking, am I safe? Am I safe? Mm -hmm. Am I safe? And we have no idea the things that trigger safety or not safety because it's not talked about in our culture. But we kind of have a sense of it anyway. The vagus nerve is that nerve that goes from the brain down into, there's two, there's two lines of it. There's the new vagus, which is, you know, uh, which is the newer evolved part that's hooked into our facial uh, muscles, our ear, our inner ear canal, and it's upper diaphragmatic. The lower one, the one that we share with most, you know, mammals, reptiles, you know, that that's the lower diaphragmatic. So the vagus nerve is interesting in that it's a feedback loop from the brain to the body, from the body to the brain. And some of the things that signal danger is an affect, a flat, a face, you know, someone who has no expression. We that tells, the Botox there. <laughs> yes. Well, that's, that's why I'm going off on this tangent. Because when we see someone who has very flat affect, like a trauma victim, Mm -hmm. our nervous system sends a warning signal that we need to back up, that that person's not right. The other thing that signals danger is a lack of prosody, which is a lack of intonation and tonality. So a monotone voice signals danger. And I always joke that you know, Hollywood got it right. Because if you want to think of the the scariest monsters, what do they have in common? You know, like think of, I always say, think of the um, the twins from The Shining. Why are they so scary? Red room. Well, that's right. But that's a different thing. That's actually yeah, hitting a few other Sorry. features. But I can talk about that too and how it signals danger to our vagus nerve, that low growling monotone. But think about it. Those twins have no expression and they're monotone. The two things that will signal danger to our vagus nerve. It's kind of fascinating, right? Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, when people have Botox where they can no longer make normal um, expressions, not only are they affecting their own brain's ability to access and create those expressions, but they are also feeding into the unconscious uh, danger signal of the person they're trying to communicate with. Our nervous system, it's not, con- it's not a conscious-minded thing. We don't say, ooh, that woman's not you know, making a normal expression. I don't like her. We're, we have no conscious awareness of it. But something has just put a barrier between us and them. And that is this thing that has evolved with us throughout our history. I guess that's another reason to just age gracefully. <laughs> yeah, hell yeah, please. Good lord, people are crazy. People are just crazy. Don't get me started. We guess a whole nother freaking topic. We won't yeah. even go there. We won't go there today because we only got four minutes. Next show. So, four minutes. You had asked what I was up to. 
right? So yeah. um, I've got things going on. You know, we, we, we meet at different parts of the world. You and I are lucky in that we get paid to go to really cool places and share what we do. Um, I've got my center here in New York City, and I've got some classes coming up. I've got a deep trance dive coming up in December, and I've got my uh, integrative hypnosis certification training in June. And anyone can see that on melissatears.com. Yeah, we'll, we'll also um, post anything you want on the page, so I've it's got, always um, there. I've got something coming up called HT Platinum, which is HypnoThoughts Live, which is the, the biggest uh, hypnosis conference that usually happens every summer. In, in Vegas, which I, I'm always there because it's a lot of fun, um, they have this other new thing they're doing, which is very different format. We're all in the same room. It's got six presenters only. We teach for four-hour chunks, and we get to really hone down. And that is in San Diego in Paradise Point at the end of February. So I'm excited because it gets me out of New York City winter. Um, and but I also have some online uh, trainings if people are interested, and that's at uh, you know the Center for Integrative Hypnosis .com. Okay, I'll be back in Spain in September, and I'll be the keynote somewhere in Copenhagen as well at, at a small uh, hypnosis conference. That's all it's I can fun. think of. I'm sure there's a lot more coming up. Brazil, I think, in November. Yeah. Not this well, November, next November. I'm actually pretty happy about that, that you're there at uh, HT Live Platinum and and Tim Horn will be there for Simpson Protocol. So it's going to be a great one yeah, because there's excellent. look at there's only two of the six and they're already phenomenal. <laughs> Wait, Tim, I, I thought, I didn't know that. I thought it was... Um... So not NGH? No, no, it's... It, oh, sorry, he's not yeah. there. It's Greg and the other one. Oh, sorry. Yes, okay. I have two trainers like, in the States. Huh. Sorry, okay. I was thinking I thought, it was no, HT okay. Live Platinum. I'm H not sure. I don't H think H Greg Platinum is there. HT Platinum is in Paradise Point in yeah. San Diego, and it's got um, Jason Lynette. It's got Steve Rame. It's got David Snyder, Ken Guzzo, me. Yeah. Um, still have uh, to say it's still phenomenal. So just Oh, it's going to be – I'm excited because just yeah. I'll, I'll be in Paradise, and I'll be getting to learn from, you know – from people I admire, so it's it's so gonna be since a lot I of gave, fun. Uh, oh my god, and Kelly Woods. Oh yeah, Kelly Woods, who don't I <laughs> adore. Uh, you know, Kelly and I wrote a book on uh, integrative hypnosis for kids and teens, yeah. and I got to say, it was the most fun I ever had uh, co-writing a book um, because I just got to learn from her, and you know, we were just learning as we went. It was a lot of fun. Anyway, so that's so, kind of what I'm up to. I've been. Um, doing a lot of Skype work and webinars and things mm -hmm. like that, getting a little more comfortable with technology because I'm old. <laughs> anyway, that's good. We're drawing to the close of the, of the show. And since Alrighty. I gave Tim Horn a plug in the wrong place, I'll also give my other trainer in the States a plug, and, and that's on that West Coast side, and that's uh, Gregory Sarton Beckett. So oh, I they, like But they can find them on my website anyway. Yeah. So. All right, so not to do a so disservice to we're anyone, done. we're good, and I have to say goodbye for now. All right. And we'll Thanks see you next chatting, time. Thanks for chatting, Ines. Till next time. And we'll see you again sometime. Okay. Bye. Love you, and bye for now, everybody. Thank you for being a part of the show today. 
Be sure to tune in next Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel for another edition of Hypnosis Everywhere, The Simpson Protocol with host Inez Simpson. We can't wait to have you join us again next week. again for listening.